Thank you for joining us here today at Calvary Church, where we are committed to loving God and loving people. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mark. I am super excited to be sharing with you this morning as we continue on in our At The Movies series. Last week, we had a, heard a great message from our lead pastor, Pastor Steve, as he used the movie Top Gun Maverick to share a powerful message from God's Word. Now, a quick reminder, just to echo Pastor Steve, this series is not about endorsing the movies that we might be referencing. In, in fact, it's hardly about the movies at all. It's about the messages and the biblical truths that can be found through these movies. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, leading the kids down in Big Time, which is our Sunday morning kids program, and we were talking about stories. In fact, we spent the whole month of May talking about the amazing, epic love story between God and us that is found in the Bible. And I shared with the kids that the Bible is full of stories. There's action, romance, mystery, poetry, history, much of which is presented through storytelling. And that was without even talking about the parables that Jesus told. His parables were not the retelling of an actual event. They were creatively made-up stories that Jesus used to relay a message. I sincerely believe that God has designed us to connect with, to relate to, and to learn from stories. You know, as Christians, we know that God desires us to draw close to Him. We see evidence of this all around us in many ways, and, and God can get our attention in many ways. God can get our attention through people, like when you see an inspiring faith in somebody else and you've, you're just like, I've got to have what they have. God can get our attention through nature. I'm sure many of us have, have experienced or witnessed the power that can be found in just seeing an incredible sunrise or the vastness of the ocean. Uh, just recently, I, was at, I had the honor of being in Switzerland, and I was on top of a mountain called Harder Kum. And as we stood on this high edge of the mountain, we were looking down on paragliders, uh, and there's something amazing about being higher than the parachuters. But we also, at the same time, had to significantly look upwards in order to see the top of a mountain called Jungfrau, which is one of the uh, main summits of the Bernese Alps. The whole view was overwhelming almost. God can get our attention also through circumstances, like especially when something works out in a way that you just, it was totally unexpected, and you're like, that has to have been an act of God. And of course, God can reach us through stories, whether that comes in the form of a book or a toddler on the lap of a grandparent, or stories sometimes come through songs, and of course, also even a movie. Today's movie that we're going to use as a loose framework for today's message is an animated movie called The Bad Guys. This is a movie based on a graphic novel series of the same name. It's kind of a heist movie done in the, styles, in the style of the Ocean's Eleven movies, if that gives any frame of reference for you. Now, 
If you're watching online, tap in the chat. Just tell me, put your hand up, something. Tell me if you've seen the movie, The Bad Guys. The reason I'm asking this is a couple months ago, I met with Pastor Steve and Pastor Vince and Pastor Brad to discuss this at the movies series. And we were talking about what movies we were going to potentially use and what messages uh, or biblical truths we might use to kind of Uh, guide through this series, and I suggested this movie. I said, I'm going to use the bad guys. And we're sitting around the table, we're talking, and almost in unison, they're all just like, I've never heard of it. So back me up, put in the comments that you've seen this movie. I'm not the only one. But anyway, uh, the first time I saw this movie was about a year ago. It was actually at the drive-in, which was super fun. Uh, So it's been out for about a year, and I say the first time because uh, my daughter Laylin and I have now seen this movie several times. Now, as a parent, I've always tried to be pretty selective in, um, with what I let the kids watch as they grew up. And a lot of movies, even when they're aimed at kids, they'll, they'll put a few things into the movie just for the adults, which sometimes, in my opinion, cross the line. Not always, but sometimes they do that. But one of the things I liked as I watched The Bad Guys with my daughter is that there were several moral lessons that they intentionally uh, tried to convey through the movie. And as a parent, I genuinely appreciated that. A couple of those lessons were things like, you'll never uh, find satisfaction through the quest of material gain. You're never going to be happy with stuff. Another sort of mini lesson in this movie was that the motives for what we, you know, behind what we do matter. Like the why you do what you do really does matter. It also covered the topic of being careful who your friends are, being careful who you associate. But the big theme that ran through this movie was all about change. You've got your nickels, your pennies, your quarters, No, just kidding. It's not that kind of change. The big question was, can the bad guys change and become good guys? And that's the constant thread through the movie. So I'm going to talk today a lot about change. Because I know uh, every one of us here could say that there's something in our life we desire to change for the better. It could be a desire to change regarding a particular habit. Or it could be that you want to change, you know, eating and exercise. Or maybe a change in how you budget or how you parent. Maybe a change in how organized you are or aren't. Maybe it's a change in your career, which can be a significant one. Maybe it's a a change in your attitude about your career. Maybe it's time to get one. Maybe it's a change in your relationship with God. Every one of us can point out something that we wish we could change. And here's an interesting paradox, actually more of a frustrating paradox. Isn't it often the case that the thing you, in your life that you most want to change is the thing that is most resistant to change? Which gives you that follow-up thought of wondering, is it even possible to change? Some of you know what I'm saying already. You want to change, but... That thing you want to change is stubborn, it's rebellious, it's resistant to change. Not, not you, of course, but that thing. That thing is stubborn, rebellious, and resistant. And that, those changes we most want to make are the hardest to make. And even though we, we can recognize that to be true, how often do we pause and ask, 
well, why is that true? So this morning, I want to start by giving two reasons that may answer that question of the why, and then we'll talk about two principles that I believe we can apply to combat them. There are two reasons for resistance to change that you will notice in the movie The Bad Guys, and honestly, two reasons that I've noticed in my own life and in the lives of people around me. Um, Reason number one, there's an identity problem. We can often confuse our identity with our problems or our issues, even our defects. Sometimes we hold these issues too close. It's like we wear them like a name tag instead of seeking change. We say things like, ah, it's just who I am. Or we cover ourselves by saying, I've always been that way. Or, yeah, it's just like me to be fill in the blank. Or we say, that's so me about something negative. Even though you may wish you could change, you aren't making any, making any actual efforts to change. Instead, it's almost like you own it. You wear it like a badge, and it becomes your identity. And the truth is, when we, when we voice, when we say these identity-rooted statements, they become self-fulfilling prophecies that we live out in our lives. In our movie today, The Bad Guys, The bad guys themselves are a team of criminals made up of anthropomorphic creatures that, honestly, we already knew they were up to no good. We've always known. You'll totally recognize the members of this crime family because they're the characters that have been the bad guys in every story we've grown up with. You've got Mr. Wolf as the leader of the pack. So that one's obvious. How many stories have we had where the big bad wolf huffs and puffs his his way into the story? Mr. Wolf's best friend is Mr. Snake, again, a creature that has been looked down upon, literally, since the Garden of Eden. There's uh, Mr. Shark, Mr. Piranha, Miss Tarantula, all animals that, as far as I can remember, have never played the protagonist in any story. They've always been the villain. Think Jaws, think uh, arachnophobia, snakes on a plane, Piranha 3D, classics that I've never personally ever watched, for the record. I mean, the movie The Bad Guys is laying it on pretty thick that these are indeed the bad guys. There's a scene near the beginning of the movie where the bad guys have robbed a bank. They're in hot pursuit by the police, and Mr. Wolf looks directly into the camera, breaks the fourth wall, and he says this. Do I wish people didn't see us as monsters? Sure I do, but these are the cards we've been dealt, so we might as well play them. The gist of the movie is that since everybody already thinks of them as villains, why not just live up to the label? And in this animated land of mostly humans, these guys are the most feared crooks around. These I don't don't know, villainous identities are the cards that they've been dealt. So they're just going to be the bad guys. And Mr. Wolf admits that they they haven't embraced this title of bad guys. It's just who they are, even though he just said, yeah, I do wish it were different. But now the identity that they've embraced is driving their choices and their actions, fulfilling what they were told they were, becoming true. So let's get off the screen and into the pages for a minute. 
The Bible tells us that we have an enemy. And this enemy is described as a liar. Actually, it's described as the father of lies. In John chapter 8, it records Jesus saying this. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. So let's look at this. You have an enemy, and the primary weapon that he plans on using against you is deception and lies. And he's going to lie to you at the level of your identity. Because if someone can convince you of a lie uh, that has to do with your identity, your, your identity then gets in the driver's seat and controls your beliefs and, of course, controls your actions. Lies like, you're not good enough and you never will be. Lies like, you're never going to be good with money. You're not a good enough husband or wife. You're a failure. You've messed up with your own children way beyond repair. You can't change because this is who you are. You'll never be able to overcome this habit or this sin pattern. In a devotional that I came across the other day by Rick Warren, I read this. He said, behind every self-defeating behavior is a lie that I'm believing. So, some change is hard because we aren't dealing with a behavior problem. We're dealing with a belief in a lie at an identity level. So, there's an identity problem. That's reason number one. Reason number two, there's a payoff problem. There's a payoff problem. Anytime there's a deeply ingrained pattern or habit that has gone on for a long time, you can almost always guarantee that there's a payoff of some sort. There's something that you do get out of it. Somehow, it fills a need. It's the trap that keeps you there. Sometimes it helps to numb the pain of something. Sometimes it allows you to hide from something. So to lighten this a little bit, let's go back to the bad guys. They knew, of course they knew, that robbing banks and stealing wasn't really what they should be doing. But on some level, they continued, maybe even enjoyed doing it because of the reward or the, the payoff. The money, the nice things, the nice cars, maybe even the clout of being the best at being bad. But even in this animated movie, all of those things appear to be an attempt to mask their real issues. In fact, there's this kind of sobering moment when the bad guys turn on the TV to see what the news has to say about their latest heist. And they hear the governor, who is a fox, like the animal, not she's a fox. It is a she, but it's an animal. Anyway, this is what the governor says. I feel sorry for them. These so-called bad guys have nothing but a deep well of anger, denial, and self-loathing. And those are holes that no amount of cash or priceless art can ever fill. 
And that, I think, is relatable. For example, maybe you have an issue. Maybe you have an anger issue that you really wish you could change. You don't, you don't love that you yell at your spouse or yell at your kids or even the, the Starbucks barista. But the truth is, historically, when you have lost your cool, when you've acted in a way that even you don't like, for being honest, you've gotten what you've wanted. You don't even really like your own method, but it's effective. There's a payoff. Your spouse gives in, and you get what you wanted. Your, your kids snap into obedience, even if it's out of fear, maybe. You get your coffee done right, or sometimes get your coffee for free. And that's the payoff problem. Even though you want to stop, even though you know this is not the best version of yourself, there is this payoff. You know it works. Maybe the payoff is numbing the pain of something. Maybe the payoff is allowing you to hide, isolated, away from, from something. Sadly, I think many of us know someone or have been someone who says that they have an alcohol problem or a drug problem. And generally, when that goes on for a long time in someone's life, they, they don't really have an alcohol problem or a drug problem. They have a pain problem, probably one that only God could heal. But the substances that they use are a way of numbing the pain that they feel or helps them uh, block the memories of something. That's the payoff. They're, they're receiving by doing what they wish they weren't. In Romans chapter 7, Starting at verse 15, it says this, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, I, I know that, that especially the last part of those verses... It, it has a little bit of the green eggs and ham, Dr. Seuss cadence to it, right? It's like, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing now. If I do what I do not want, it is no longer. I, it's confusing. Go back, read it a couple times. I think most of us got it the first time, but, but go back and, and check it out. So why is it so hard to change? It can be either identity problem or it can be a payoff problem, which we see in our own lives, even see this in the movie, The Bad Guys. But we see through these Sam I Am verses that there's also a sin problem. And so we need Jesus. But here's the good news. Just like in the movie, spoiler alert, plug your ears if you don't want to hear this, but the bad guys were able to change. And so too is change possible in our lives. The Bible is full of stories of people who encounter God, who are transformed by him, and incredible changes happen in their lives. Think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but he was a tax collector. He was a greedy tax collector who cheated people, but 
after he met Jesus, what happened? He gave away half of his possessions to the poor and returned four times the amount of whatever he cheated from people. That's a, that's a pretty big change from a single encounter with Jesus. The apostle Paul, previously Saul, used to seek out in prison and even kill Christians. But then he has this encounter with the Lord and goes from Christian killer to Christian preacher, church planter, and author of more books of the Bible than anybody else. There are stories all over the Bible of specific encounters followed by change. And throughout these stories uh, of change, there are principles found that I think can help any person, no matter how deeply ingrained the pattern or the habit. So although we've talked about two reasons why change is hard, and we acknowledge that, let's go to God's Word to look at two principles that can act as a a catalyst for change and, and be combative towards the traps that keep us from changing. Specifically, let's look at how walking towards maturity in Christ brings change for the better. So principle number one, change happens when we walk in community. Pastor Steve has, of course, talked about this before in other messages, our our need for community, our need for each other, our need for the body of Christ, our need for uh, our church family. We have a need for people to do life with us, people to encourage us, people to inspire us, even people who are willing to tell us the hard truth whether we want to hear it or not. Change is way harder. Change is way uh, more complicated when we try to achieve change on our own. We, we need people who will walk with us towards change and even help set an example for us. And speaking of the artist formerly known as Saul, in Philippians 3.17, Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. And learn from those who follow our example. Paul is simply saying here, do you want to grow? Do you you want change? Do you want to be more Christ-like? you got to walk with those who are setting the example. That's walking in community. That's doing life with others. Now, we already said that the devil's main tactic to reach you is through lies. And you know in the easiest time for him to lie to you, Uh, and deceive you, and you believe it is, it's when you are alone. It is so much harder to to deceive someone when they're in community, when they're in groups. But when you're alone, you're easily deceived. I mean, we're going to listen to some voice or another. And when you isolate yourself away from others, the lies of the enemy are a lot louder, and they're a lot easier to believe. In the bad guys, too, uh, change happens in community when they are together. Not only were they dependent on each other for change, but they needed someone to set the example for them, someone who could coach them. And in the movie, the bad guys find a coach in a character named Professor Marmalade. Professor Marmalade is a guinea pig who's kind of a goody two-shoes. He's just won this Good Samaritan Award for all his philanthropic good deeds, and he believes that he can make the bad guys good. But it's definitely not without its challenges. The bad guys have been bad guys for a long time. But 
through example, through practice, through the coaching of Professor Marmalade, it does eventually work. They do end up doing good deeds. Change happens within community. We need to be around not only those who will coach us, but also surrounded by those who will walk with us through those changes no matter the difficulty, and people who are even ahead of us in our journey or a similar journey. Principle number two, change happens when we walk in a newness of mind. So what does that even mean, a newness of mind? Again, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17, he says, With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You will never change until you change your thinking. All change starts right here in your mind. Because your thoughts, they drive how you feel about yourself. And then in turn, of course, how you act. Change happens when we embrace a new way of thinking. The Bible calls this the renewing of the mind. This is why you're going to hear our pastors stress over and over again from big-time kids to ruckus junior youth to root youth to young adults to even Sunday morning services, the importance of spending time in God's Word, declaring His truth over your life. And as you do this, you'll be renewing your mind and you'll begin to change your thinking about the world, change your thinking about God, and about your identity. There's a scene in the movie where Mr. Wolf is following a little old lady down a flight of stairs and he is trying to pickpocket the cash that's visible out of her purse. But the old lady stumbles on the stairs and instead he saves her. And when he places her in a sturdy position, she looks at him and says, thank you, thank you, you're such a good boy. And it's in that moment that Mr. Wolf's tail starts to wag. And now, in that scene, Mr. Wolf obviously doesn't have an encounter with the Lord. He encounters an opportunity to do good, which is a big change for him. He also experiences what it feels like to do good. And maybe most importantly, we saw the impact of him being told something positive. When the woman looked at him in the eyes and said, good boy, in a sense, declaring a truth in his life that he had long since forgotten, his tail wags for the first time. Something was renewed in his mind. In the days that we're living right now, with social media ingrained in our everyday in a lot of ways, I think this is kind of a good example because social media platforms curate content for you based on what you've previously followed or previously watched in full or clicked like on. So, for example, when I hop on uh, Instagram or YouTube shorts, I get fed things that I've searched for before. 
So I see acapella music. Yeah, I'm cool like that. I see information related to Christian perse persecution. I see a lot of stand-up comedians. And I get a lot of suggestions for kids' worship music. It's a mixed bag. But they're curating content based on things that I've previously showed interest in. So what if you curated your thought life in order to renew your mind? Because if you aren't curating your thoughts, the enemy and the world will do it for you. And so curate, curating your thoughts means, you know what? I'm going to intentionally get into God's Word. I'm going to intentionally declare what His Word says about me, that I am beloved. I'm going to declare that I belong to God. I'm going to declare that I'm a child of God, that I'm an overcomer, that I'm more than a conqueror. You have to continually curate your thought life, your thought life so that those truths become the feed in your mind. And when you walk in the newness of mind, your feelings and actions will change. In fact, you'll begin to desire different actions. You'll be begin to desire different payoffs. And maybe, just maybe, your tail will wag again. So as we leave this week, our second episode of At The Movies series, let's remember the traps in our lives that keep you bound to the things that you wish you could change. Let's learn to recognize the voice of the enemy and not let the devil whisper lies that affect your identity. And instead, let's declare God's truth into our lives, allowing our minds to be renewed by his word. And let's acknowledge that whatever payoff is keeping you in a cycle of behavior that's not glorifying God is not greater than the freedom we find in Christ, for greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. And let's pray for a gravitational pull, like a tractor beam, to be in a community and have the support that's described in the Bible. I pray that each of us would learn to walk in the Spirit of God because that has a payoff. In fact, it has a measurable payoff that's listed in the Bible, specifically listed in the book of Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and even self-control. Don't those sound like way better rewards than whatever payoffs you were receiving by not changing those bad habits and patterns in your life? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for our church family. God, and we pray that you would begin to renew our minds through your word, through the truths we find in the scriptures. God, we thank you that we are children of God. We thank you that you love us the way you do, that you gave your son Jesus for us, that we might be forgiven of our sins and find eternal life with you. God, we pray that for each person hearing this message right now that you would speak into their lives, help them break those traps that have them bound, that they would break free, find community, and find your love and your outstretched arm in their life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.